up? It's good to see y'all. Hey, uh, Larry, I uh, just want to thank you for doing the call to worship. I personally needed to hear that text. Uh, special thanks to your wife for breaking it down into uh, all of the whatevers that I don't know what to do with. But can I just tell you a frustration I've got? I was sitting on the church property with a bunch of Acts 29 pastors on Thursday, and uh, they wanted to come and check out the building. They're hyper excited for us as we are excited. And we were talking about that concept. We were talking about the concept of rejoicing when you don't feel like rejoicing, of trusting God when it doesn't seem like he's there or wrestling with that whole thing. And I get it. Like, I'm looking at you, Larry, but here's the thing. Like all of us, when I hear that rejoice, always rejoice, and life isn't in a place where I want to rejoice, I get it. I, I can even like squeeze it and say, okay, God, I want to feel it. But it's just so hard. It, it, it almost feels impossible sometimes to say, okay, Lord, I, I know what I'm feeling and I know what is true in God's word. And how am I supposed to squeeze these two great realities together? And I want to encourage you with something that might be a discouragement. All right. Let me encourage you with something that might be a discouragement. I'm sitting with some of the, the greatest pastors that I personally know men who are dedicated to the gospel, who are in the, the phase of church planting where it is hard and it is difficult and you don't always see the end from the beginning and we are wrestling with that text. How are we supposed to rejoice? And I just want you to realize this. We don't ever pass go on that. I don't think we ever get to a point, I'll ask Mike McKenzie at the end of this, I don't know that we ever get to a point in our lives where we're like, I don't have to remind myself to rejoice because I have learned this concept. And what I love about the, the way, Larry, that you kind of led us into worship is it really leads us into this text. And just so that you guys know, one of my favorite things, and I, I hope if you're a member of the church uh, and, and you have not raised your hand to help out with the call to worship or the benediction or the spotlight, if you're a member of the church, we would love for you to be involved in that if that's a way that you would like to stretch and grow. But we intentionally, I don't give Larry a text to bring up. I, I don't give whoever's doing the benediction a, a text because I want to see how the Holy Spirit is moving the entire congregation and sort of take my hands off of it. I needed to hear that. And not only did I need to hear it, but man, what a beautiful tee for the ball for the Holy Spirit to just knock out of the park in our time together. So what we're gonna do, if you've got your Bible, uh, Proverbs chapter four is where we're going to be. Proverbs chapter four, verse one. We've got two or three more sermons in, in this first section of the book of Proverbs. At the end of our time together, we have so much to celebrate. We have a number of new members that are coming into the church. Not only that, I'm gonna forecast to you guys what the next uh, handful of months look like. When is our move-in date for the new building? I've got all of that back-ended in the sermon, so if you decide to leave early, that's on you. Um, but, but that is tucked into this. But here's what, as, as we dive into God's word, three things. One thing that you need to see and two decisions that you need to make. And I, I'm not gonna be overcomplicated with the text that we're looking at tonight. Uh, to me, this is a straight uh, fastball right down the middle of the plate. There is one thing that you need to see and two decisions that you need to make. Pray with me if you would, and then we'll jump into God's word. Heavenly Father, I am grateful for you. I, I am grateful that we can sing and worship a God that is worthy of praise, actually worthy of praise of all of the things in this world that take our attention, that, that we find interesting, that we give our time, our energy, our money, our resources to, of all of the things, you are the one constant. In this lifetime and a thousand lifetimes before, and if Jesus doesn't return in a thousand lifetimes from now, that will 
always be the case. You are worthy of every moment. You are worthy of every bit of our energy. You are worthy of our attention. You are worthy of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And so as we gather together, for, for the believer and the Christian in here, would you strengthen us? Would you remind us of your great truths? Would you show us the next steps of the path that you have called us to walk as your children? For those in this room who are not believers or, or just checking things out and wanting to learn more about Christ, oh God, would he be very visible and easy to see tonight? Would the beauty of a risen Savior on a broken cross for broken humanity be clearly seen even as we read a, a, a passage that was written thousands of years ago. Would you do that for us? In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. We were driving down our driveway last night, and Ames just randomly started talking from the back of the van. Our children have different seats in the van. It's very important to them that they have their own seat and that other people don't sit in their seat. I don't know if you can relate to that or not. It was the same way when I was on the bus. I knew what my seat was on the bus. They weren't necessarily numbered, but I knew I was near the little emergency thing, you know, the little slide-ups. And if you lift them up, it makes a little buzzing sound. I, I don't know if it, I knew where my seat was. My kids know where their seat is. The problem is, Aim sits all the way in the back of our van with all the cool kids, and so we can barely hear him when he's talking. It's usually like, hey, mom, hey, 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 hey. And we're like, we're Christian parents. We want to connect. These conversations are meaningful, but you're a hundred feet in this massive van that we just thought would be a wonderful idea and tends to collect trash. And so he's kind of throwing up these little things and, and somehow in his mind, he got uh, these memories of when daddy was a youth pastor and how much he loved it. Going on youth retreats and hanging out and skiing together and all of that kind of stuff. Hopefully Emmett will have these stories for you, Thomas. And he, he, he was yelling up, he was like, guys, Lizzie James is just the best. And some of you in this room know Lizzie James. She was one of our youth students. She's grown up now. And, uh, and we were like, well, what do you mean? What's so great about Lizzie? He said, I just remember this one time. And Lizzie helped us. Like she, she helped my wife and all of our kids so that my wife could minister to students and, and whatnot and, and was half mom, half student on all of the trips she ever went on. And uh, Ames said, yeah, I just remember this one time. Lizzie said, hey, Ames, go put your shoes on. And so Ames kind of bebops, and he puts his shoes on, and he walks out. And Lizzie says, oh, no, bud, you, you've, you've got them on backwards. you got the left sh shoe on the right foot and the right shoe on the left foot. And, and he said, so what I did is I just sat down, and I flipped my feet. And I was like, we're good now, right? And she looked at me, and she said, all right, buddy, let's try that again. Now, that little phrase, all right, buddy, let's try that again, is maybe one of the greatest concepts of Scripture for all of us to see. I told you one thing to see and two things, two decisions to make. Here's the one thing I want you to see. Matt, if you'll throw up the little spring. One of the things that I think people struggle with with Scripture is the repetition of it. If I just start reading to you from Proverbs 4, verse 1. Leave that up, Matt. I know I'm about to read a Scripture. Just leave that up. If I read verse 1, if you look down in your Bibles, here's what you're going to see. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. You'll probably say, haven't we read this before? In fact, haven't I read this three or four times before just in this section of Proverbs? And the answer to that question would be absolutely yes, and I think sometimes people struggle in reading portions of the Old Testament or repetitive parts of the Psalms or the Proverbs because their thought is, I've already read this. But here's what I want you to realize. This is what I'm calling the learning loop or the loving learning loop. This is how God has engineered humanity in his creation of humanity. 
He wants us to learn things, to grow in our knowledge. That is one of his great desires. If you go back to one of the most well-known stories in the New Testament of the prodigal son, this is what you see. You see a son who grew up in a believing family and he's on his life and he has two lives that he can live, one for Christ, one for God, or one for himself. And as he gets older, he hits those pivotal teen years, those young adult years, and he just deviates. And he says, Dad, give me all of my stuff. I've got it figured out. I'm going to live on my own. I'll figure it out, Dad. And he goes, and you know the story, he he just wrecks his life. I mean, absolutely wrecks it and comes to a realization. And then after starting his life, he comes all the way back around saying, you know what, I could at least be a servant in my father's house. And as soon as he's on his way back, his father sees him a long way off and he runs to his son with arms wide open and a heart that is soft and a warm embrace. And he looks at him and he says, all right, buddy, let's try that again. This is the path of the mature believer. This is how you have learned anything that you have ever learned in your life. You didn't watch it or read it one time and then it stuck. It's repetition and redos. It's sitting in a fifth grade class going through your spelling words because you know that the test is coming up. And you didn't read hypothesis once or neighborhood once. I remember the word neighborhood in my second grade classroom. is on the far wall. You don't read it one time and then master it. You've got to read it and you've got to write it and you get four letters in or six letters in and you do it again and again and again. This is how the Christian life operates. It's us going and trusting the Lord and then all of a sudden something hits or we fail and God sends us all the way back around. He says, okay, buddy, let's try that again. It's how we raise our children. It's how we change patterns the way that we argue, we, we see it. Something happens that causes us to be angry. And we can either go down that path of anger, go down that path of fury, or by God's grace, he can swing us all the way back around and say, okay, buddy, let's try that again. How do we fight addiction, the things that pull us away from God? How do we overcome temptation by going back and back? This is how Proverbs reads. I want to show it to you. Because I think if you can learn to love this, you will learn how God built for you to learn. So I want you to jump all the way to verse 5 and 6. And all I want you to do is watch for repetition. I want you to love repetition. We live in an entertainment culture, and our our education is an edutainment culture. Give me a cool YouTube clip. Show me an infographic. Give me something that's going to hold my attention as well as give me information. I'm intentionally trying not to do that. All right? I'm going to give you a list. Because I want us to learn to love repetition. Verse five, get wisdom, get insight. Sound familiar? It should. Do not forget another repetition. Do not turn away from the words of my mouth. How about another repetition? Do not forsake her being wisdom and she will keep you. Love her and she will guide you. Verse five and six, pursue wisdom. And and it gives us these three things over and over again. Do not forget, do not turn away, do not forsake. Now keep in mind, this is a dad talking to his son. Now you remember being a kid and your parent trying to teach you some level of morality. You sit there for a minute and then all of a sudden you're fiddling your thumbs and you're rolling your eyes and you're just trying to get away to find the next thing. But God's word is not content with that. The second thing that we see is that wisdom brings the greatest benefit. This is verses 8 and 9. Prize wisdom, prize her highly, and look for all of the she wills. She will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Verses 8 and 9, wisdom brings the greatest benefit. Have we already heard this? You better believe we've already heard it. 
And yet God's word repeats it and repeats it and repeats it. It brings us back. Drop all the way down to verse 13. Is seeking wisdom easy? No, it's a struggle. Keep hold of instruction. And he could stop there, but no, that's not how we learn. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Every time God's word is repeating, he's looking you in the eye and he's saying, all right, buddy, let's try this again. Let's go to the last, the last little looping section in verse 15. Speaking of wisdom as a means to turning from sin. Verse 15, avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. Why does God speak this way? Why? Because there have been so many times in my life where, where I, I, I'm, I'm just doing normal life and then sin grips me and it, and it wants my heart, it wants my soul, it wants my mind. And God's desire is for me to hear him say, avoid it. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to avoid it. And then 10 seconds later, my temptation is drawing me in and he's like, don't go on it. And I'm like, okay, and I'm fighting it. Turn away from it. This is how God teaches us this loop, this repetitiveness is the most loving thing that God can do for us. It is effective and incredibly frustrating. It's frustrating because it takes so much time. Magna Carta was drafted in the year, anybody know? 1215. I didn't have to look that up. A squared plus B squared equals... I promise you nobody's Googling this stuff. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. How do you know that? How? It's not because you read it one time in a history book that Magna Carta was 12.15, I promise you. It's because somebody tested you on it, A squared plus B squared. It's because you saw that gritty old math teacher and you knew it was going to be on the test. How do you know Romans 3.23? Well, because your, your mom or your dad had you in the church or they had you in VBS or you were in Awana, so you're a really special kid. And you, all right, we got it. How do you know these things? Because God loves you enough to repeat the things that are necessary for you to know. This loop of love is a loving thing where God says, all right, buddy, let's just take one concept from Scripture. Fight self and live for others. Consider others better than yourself. And you hear it at church one Sunday, and you walk out of those double doors, and you're all like, I just had a church service, and I'm feeling good, and I prayed, and I'm going to consider others better than myself. And you make it all the way to the parking lot, and you're still feeling that, which is really good. So you hop in your car, and you're coming down the aisle, and so is somebody else, and you're like, brother, you just go right on ahead. Right? Considering others better than myself. You might even make it over all the way to the freeway. Your kids might be just talking about where you want to go to dinner, and you're like, it's not in the budget. It's going to be too difficult. And they're like, but a happy meal would be great. And you're like, consider others better than yourself. There's a little bit of energy that's waned off, but you're going, to, you're going to make this thing happen. And you wake up the next morning, and you show up to work, and eight decisions go by where you consider yourself more than anybody else. Next thing you know, you're eating lunch, and you have this, oh, Yeah. I had the opportunity to, to love on this person, to serve this person, to exalt someone's needs over, the, over my own. Why? Because you need it, and you need it, and you need it. it the heart of your pastor is this. Don't, uh, let me put it in the positive. Learn to love the loving repetition of God's faithfulness to you. Learn to love it. 
The things that our culture tells us should be boring to us are the very things that we should press onward because it will make you a man of God compared to your peers. It will make you a woman of God, a teenager that can love God more than your peers. And two decisions for you to make because this is not how all of us are going to live. This isn't the only way that we will live. So what are the options? Everybody go to verse 11, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 11. Um, I left my stuff. Ah, Karen Ann, you got my stuff sitting with you. That's all right. Don't worry about it. It's cool. My favorite tracks, which is like an old school Christian way of saying, how do I present the gospel on a paper format? Because I'm a little uncomfortable just shooting from the hip. All right. That's what tracks are. It's what like get put in jack-o'-lanterns during Halloween so that Christian families feel like they can participate. That's, that's kind of how it plays out, right? Or if you're just like somebody with the gift of evangelism, like Kwame, he always had them in his back pocket and stuff like that. My favorite tract is made by a group called Matthias Media. It's free. Uh, you can go to their website. If you have a tablet or a phone, I would even encourage you, you can go and check it out right now. Matthias Media, Two Ways to Live. But I'm going to show you the graphics that they use because one of the things that I want you to see is this book of Proverbs that was written before Christ, right? Well, not before his existence because he always existed, but before his incarnation, before he came and lived before we had a life model in front of us, this book of Proverbs was written. And in this is the prototype. It's the blueprint for the life that Christ was going to live. And it shows us the two ways that God is offering to every human created in his image. So let's look at verses 11 to 13. Verse 11 to 13. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk your step will not be hampered. This is how I want my life to go. And if you run, you will not stumble. Here comes, here comes. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. The first thing that we see in this is that God, the good ruler and creator, has given us everything that we need as a blueprint for our life. The very first word in this set of scriptures is, I have taught you. God on day one, there's a tree that's going to give you life. There's a tree that's going to give you death. And you may not have ever had those trees put in front of you, but you have. You have. You, you, you've seen the decision. It wasn't a piece of fruit hanging on a tree, but it was a decision that you made in your life. Am I going after the things of God or am I going after the things of self? And in this little packet of verses in 11 to 13, God makes it very clear that he is the one who has taught wisdom. He makes it very clear that his desire would be to lead us in a path that he calls righteous so that when we walk, we do not fall. We can run and have no problem at all. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I told you about a kid uh, who came and swept my legs out from under me when I was leaning on a hall. And uh, I don't know if y'all remember this or whatever. And I got real upset at him. I was like, I got back at him. I had to repent. Well, here's the story of how he got back at him. So he lived a, a neighborhood away and about six of us were spending the night at Ben Cope's house. Loved spending the night at Ben Cope's house. His parents were kind of playing hands-off ball. Uh, one of the, my favorite things that we would do is we would take couch cushions and we would shove them under our shirts and we would have these huge sumo wrestling matches where we just smack, like how we got away with stuff. Like everything was broken, nobody cared, whatever. Well, we decided, you know what? It's night, everybody's asleep, let's go mess with some folks. Toilet paper, forks, knocking on doors, ringing doorbells. Will has repented of this, move on, like we all had a life before Jesus or while we were figuring it out. And so we go and, you know, we're doing all the things that you do in the darkness as a teenager. 
Not all the things, it was just a bunch of guys. Let me clarify. We were doing some of the things that you do in the darkness. And we were knocking on doors and stuff like this. Well, all of a sudden, somebody's light turns on and we freak out. So we start running on this little path, pitch black at night, running behind houses so that we don't get caught, we don't want to get in trouble, we don't want our parents to find out. And somebody sees something. We're running single file in the dark, and Jeff saw something, and he said, ah, it's a rat or something like that. And he jumps out of the way, but Andrew doesn't see it. So Andrew runs. He looks, so he's not looking ahead, and he hits a root, and he falls, and he snaps his arm. Like, legit. Like, and it's like, <laughs> yeah. And so now... 10% of us is feeling bad for our friend and 90% of us realizes we're not getting away with tonight anymore. You can't hide an arm that's dangling. You just don't, it's not like, set it, pack leaves in it, we'll figure it out. So Andrew walks back to his house, goes to his dad's and everything fell apart from there. What were you guys doing out in the dark? Nothing, that is a lie. And we know that it's a lie. What happens in the darkness? Nothing good and so God says, look, I have created a path for you to walk in that doesn't lead to brokenness, that doesn't lead to shame. But the problem is you haven't walked in that, which takes us to number two, our rebellion against God. You'll see this in the following verses. Look at 14 to 16. Do not enter the path of the wicked, running behind houses, throwing toilet paper and all of the things that happen in the darkness. Do not walk in the way of the evil. Is God a joy kill? Absolutely not. He's trying to save us from pain and brokenness. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep until they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep until they have made someone stumble. All of our rebellion and all of our rejection of wisdom is laid plain before the Lord. And I love the way the scripture puts it. They can't sleep until they have done it. I don't know if you've ever been caught in some kind of addictive situation with sin or a relationship that you shouldn't have been in or whatever, but going to bed at night is one of the most difficult things. When, when sin has a hook inside of you, closing your eyes and going to sleep is almost impossible because the moment you stop, the moment you slow, it's the enemy saying one step further, just come on. Just one more click, one more minute, one more text, one more moment, one more decision. Just come a little bit closer. And God knew it from the very beginning. They can't sleep until they've done wrong. Those late night solo cravings for sin. It's like an empty stomach. And God knew this. Isaiah 53, 6 speaks of the condition of all of us. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone, I love this part, to his own way. And that is probably the biggest issue because God is just. And we see this in verse 17. They eat the bread of wickedness. They drink the wine of violence. <laughs> when you are longing for sin and your stomach is empty, if you do not fill it with something, you're gonna fill it with that thing. And so God knows and we are drawn to sin and ironically, the punishment that we tend to incur is the punishment that we bring on ourselves. If we would have just kept pillows under our shirts, breaking lamps, it would have been a whole lot better than the moment we decided to walk out the door. But God's justice allows our own sin's consequence to build. And then we find verse 18. But. That's verse 18. 
It's one of the most beautiful words in all of scripture. You'll see it in a handful of places. But that one little three-letter word, all of this darkness, all of this difficulty, all of this brokenness, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. It, it, it's this realization that you could move toward the door and still turn back, right? That, that you could walk out the door with toilet paper in hand and forks in hand, and you could still decide, I'm going to turn back. All of your friends could be going in the wrong direction, and you could still turn back. How phenomenal that God allows us to sin against him and sin against him and sin against him while looking at us and saying, come on, buddy, let's try this again. Come on, buddy, let's try this again. It's not going to be good. It's not going to be worth it. Come back to me. I read this just a moment ago, but I want you to see the whole verse. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There should be a question mark at the end of that. Has God really taken all of my sin and all of my brokenness and seen fit to put it on his perfect son? There is no question mark. As solid as a nail in the right and a nail in the left is a period at the end of this sentence that God has placed the sin of all who turn to Christ on him and on him alone. And then the beauty of verse 18 as it continues. But the path of righteousness is like the light of dawn which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The, The concept here, I don't know, you know what it's like to, to go to sleep in a dark room and then somebody wakes you up by flipping the light on. They're not loving. They're not like, hey, 30-second warning. I'm going to turn on this little 15-watt lamp. It's the big older brother who's like, wake up, and he throws a shoe at you. The, the concept here is that when we are in darkness, when we're running down the paths of darkness in brokenness and in pain, the light begins to come in. But you and I have the same response to that. We close our eyes. We cover. We occasionally will peek in. But the light is painful at first. But here it becomes brighter and brighter until full day. The year is 2022, right now. I don't know, what's it, 20th? March 20th. This moment in history, this moment is the greatest revelation that has ever existed on the planet. This is, this is God's concept of progressive revelation. A week from now, that will be the same. That God is constantly, with every passing moment and every passing day, revealing more of himself and more of himself and more of himself. And it it started in seed form in Genesis 3.15. How are you going to rescue us from our brokenness? But God promises that he will. And then we see God's plan as, as, as we read through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph into Israel and to Moses. And it grows into David and into Solomon, into the coming kingdom, into Christ incarnation. Every passing day, God has revealed more of his glory and more of his majesty. You live in the greatest time that has ever been. You live on the post-cross side of human history, where we can see what Christ has done, where we can hear all that God's word has written. The Bible has been complete, and here it is at our feet. And the Bible says, until full day has come. And that's exactly what's on its way. Revelation 22, this is where it's all going. They will see his face. His name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. You won't open the door to run down the path to break your arm anymore because it's going to be day everywhere. 
They will need no light, no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. That day is coming for those who trust in Christ. So finally, we get to verse 19. So there are two ways for you to live. Verse 19 puts it this way. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. You see, God walks us through the beauty. That, that whole thing, is, it's simply the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And then it lands the plane right here and it says, look, wickedness is gonna cause you to fall. And can I just tell you, when you try to run around in the dark, you get bumped up, you get beat up, you get scraped up, and this world is not you in a box. You bust other people's lips too. You trip other people up. We bang heads with folks because we're walking in darkness and God is simply saying this, when has it ever really paid off? When has that path ever really worked? Now, Christian, I'm just telling you, we're not done because of this progressive revelation. God has not called you home. So what, Christian, I'm saying Christian right now, you're not done with this two ways to live. What's going on in your world that needs to be killed? What sin needs to be attacked? What good things need to be elevated? If you're not a Christian, if you're checking out church, if you're starting to learn about Jesus, I'm, I'm just telling you. I, I can tell you how dark darkness is. I can tell you how light light is. I can tell you how much better it is in my own experience. I don't know which of those three is more appealing to you. But God who created all things and knows all things knows this is better. I want to give you guys a quote. I tried to think, man, how can I put this in my own words, but... Platt or Aiken or Marita did a better job, so I'm just going to read it to you. Wisdom is found in Jesus and in walking with him. If part of your life is moving into foolishness, that's not just dangerous because of the temporal consequences that you may face. That's dangerous because it reveals that you are moving away from Jesus. Don't go to the next one yet. Don't go to the next one yet. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. There's nothing neutral in this life. Nothing. Every decision you make, from the clothes that you put on, to the word that you use, to the tone that you use, to the facial, facial expression that you, there is not a decision you make in this world that is neutral. No, not one. It is all about the kingdom of self or the kingdom of Christ. Which means, you can have an amazing quiet time, but if you can't control your tongue, you can go ahead to the next one, Matt. You can have an amazing quiet time, but if you can't control your tongue, you've got a problem with Jesus. You can raise your hands high during praise songs, but if you can't clean your room when your mom tells you to, you have a problem with Jesus. You can be in three different Bible studies throughout the week, but if you nag your husband constantly, you've got a problem with Jesus. You can teach a Bible study class every week, but if you can't take the trash out for your wife, it reveals that you've got a problem with Jesus. Jesus is concerned with every area of your life. If you have areas of foolishness in your life, you are walking away from Jesus. I'll just tell you that that hit me right between the eyeballs. Not one neutral thing. And then it brought me to what I want to close us out with tonight. It's all true. It's true of you and it's true of me. I'm horrible at the trash. I, I don't forget to take it to the street anymore. That used to be the problem. But here's my thing. There's like 40 steps from our trash can, to our, from our trash can inside to our trash can outside. It's 40 steps. That's a lot of steps. This is first world problems, okay? 
Sometimes I have to walk out in the rain. And so what I want to do is I just want to take the trash out of the can for my wife, tie it up and put it in, put it in the, right next to the door on the way out. But my dogs, sinful as they are, rebellious, constantly not learning, even though I tell them they ought to. I was about to say spank them, but I don't know if that's going to offend y'all. I spank my dog. They poop on the ground, they get a pop. They eat the trash, they get a pop. If that ends my career as preaching, so be it. There are other things I can do. And then I come down and they've opened the trash up and it's everywhere. And now I'm picking this up. It's not that I don't want to take the trash out. It's that I don't want to take it all the way out. That's the problem. It's that being a Christian means being a Christian all the way. It's tough. It's hard. But the patience of God on not giving up on me is the only fuel in the tank. I don't mean the only fuel in the tank that I need. I mean, it's literally the only fuel in the tank. If, if the fuel in the tank is maybe my wife will appreciate it and she'll love on me and be more affectionate, and the moment she doesn't, it goes from fuel to a problem. If I think, you know what, this is going to be a perfect example for my kids, so I take it all the way out, then they don't see it. Or even worse, they don't see it and they say, Dad, you missed a piece. It's like, ah. The only fuel in the tank is that God has never stopped being faithful to me. And that's the legacy that God shows us. Now, I told you there was one thing for you to see, two decisions to make. The first decision is which of these paths are you going to walk on? And the second decision is this. What is your legacy going to be? Now, I don't know if you noticed, but typically we work through books of the Bible. And I skipped the first portion. So please go to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 1. Hear, O sons of father's instruction. Pause. That's, that's unique. We haven't seen this yet. This is not a loop. It sounds like a loop, but it's not a loop because son has an S on the end. All of a sudden, all of this instruction that Solomon was giving to his son is now being opened up to a collective of people. Maybe it's one other son. Maybe he's speaking to the sons of his nation. But somehow this instruction has gone from father to son, eye to eye, couch to couch, knee to knee, to him opening it up. And when he opens it up, he says, be attentive that you may gain insight. Verse 2. I'm giving you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, Solomon says of David, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, Bathsheba, he begins something that we have not seen in this book yet. He starts telling us a story. He starts telling us his story. And can I just tell you, there's not typically a lot in scripture for grandparents. But if you're a grandparent, this is for you. Most of us will be a grandparent at some time in our life. If our life, by God's grace, goes into the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. And hopefully we'll trade some of our energy for a whole lot more wisdom. We just celebrated Jimmy becoming a granddad. The life that you live today will become the stories that you tell tomorrow. And don't get me wrong. It's fun to tell stories of running behind houses and somebody getting their arm broken. But it's better when you can tell the story of faithfulness. 
It's better when you can tell the story of avoiding sin. It's better when you can tell the story of all of the temptation because here's the deal. David would have spoken to Solomon and this is what Solomon's recounting. And he, he says, he told me these stories when, when I was a son with my father, verse three, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, verse four, he taught me. He said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words, keep my commandments and live. And I guarantee you Solomon would have heard the story of his dad, David. And he would have, Solomon son would have heard of granddad David slaying this giant. He, he would have heard of him going all Jason born in a cave and cutting a piece of Saul's like little cloak so that he could stand up and be like, I could have killed you, but I didn't kill you. Booyah. He would have heard the story of, of David having a best friend like Jonathan going on all of these adventures and escapades better than Frodo or Samwise ever would have had. This was the lineage that he had. And he would have heard the story of Bathsheba. He would have heard of his origins. He would have heard of his father's adultery and his mother's adultery. He would have heard of his father's murder and his mother's complicit nature with it. And all of that somehow, all of this good and all of this bad goes into the blender in God's grace. And it comes out the other side. And Solomon says, this, this great reality of God's faithfulness in my brokenness and in my good. Just saying, that's all right, buddy, let's try this again. That's all right, buddy, let's try this again. This is the story that I want to tell. All of us who become grandparents, and I think it will be the majority of us, are going to have things to pass down. You know, Paul in Romans talks about not having a mother, except there was this one woman in the church that was a mother to him. So maybe you don't have children. Maybe you're single, but that doesn't preclude you from this. All of the walking in righteousness builds a catalog of stories for you to share with those behind you trusting in Christ. And hopefully, you can sprinkle into your life enough righteousness and trust God enough and allow him to call you back again and again so that in your garden of wisdom, you have flowers and fruit to share and to show them the goodness of God. And I guarantee you that when Solomon was writing this to his son, he was like, Dad... You say the same things over and over, right? He's rolling his eyes and he's saying, I've already heard this. You've already told me this. And the dad's like, yeah, but you just won't do it, buddy. If you think you're tired of the repetitiveness of the Bible, how tired is the Bible of your repetitiveness and sin? How tired is God in the repetitiveness of you turning your back on him? I promise you, you will not be more tired than he is. And yet this patient love of God saying, let's try this again, buddy. This patient love is God's legacy. And we call it his faithfulness. And what is mind-blowing is that God looks at us and he says, my legacy of faithfulness is for all of my children as well. You probably know this verse out of Hebrews 13. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is a legacy of faithfulness. Jesus didn't pull one of these, not once in his life. He didn't start walking and then get a little selfish or a little arrogant or a little anything. He shot a straight path right to the cross to die for every one of us that would loop back. But that isn't the entirety of this verse. You want to see something that blows my mind? Here's the whole context of the verse. Remember your leaders, 
those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. If you find a teaching that tells you that there is not this constant repentance, that is not this constant coming back to the cross and growing, absolutely ignore it. What you need to put your eyes on are men and women who have lived longer than you and more faithful than you and more honorable than you. And when you see this, here's what he says. Remember it, consider it, and imitate it. Now look, some of you have great dads and some of you have great granddads. Some of you have great moms and some of you have great grandmoms and some of you don't know. Some of you don't have it. But I can tell you this, when I look at those words, legacy, remember, consider, and imitate, even I can apply this in the brokenness that was my home. I, I, I can remember stories about my granddad and I've only got two, so you've probably heard them before. I, I can remember my grandmother telling me the story of him coming back. I think it was a battle in World War II, and he wore an eye, uh, he had glasses, those standard issue glasses that went to soldiers, and they were in an OD green case that sat in his breast pocket. And he goes into the med tent after a battle, and he's fine. He's like, I don't need to be here. And he pulls out his glasses, and sitting inside is a bullet. I think I've told you guys this story. Hole in one side, held in the other. I'd love to tell you more stories, but I don't know them. This is my legacy. But I know that God preserved his life. I, I, I can remember that. There are things that I can consider. If you've been here for any amount of time, you know that my dad is a prayer request. I, I'd ask for you to pray for him. But even in the brokenness that is there, I can still consider times of good. I remember standing on the, the mound in B-League pitching for the Rangers. And he was in the stands. And he was like, throw a curveball. He'd never taught me how to throw a curveball. We played catch occasionally. So I was like, all right. And I threw it, and that ball was like, Phew! and it hit like the very top. I think somebody got a free base. But I remember my dad calling out to me something good and something positive. I, I don't have a lot to imitate, though. And so what I did is I went to faithful men in my church. And Bill Harrison, faithful guy, I didn't know how he did it. He had nothing but daughters. It kind of played out in my own life. I still don't know how he did it. I said, Bill, I'm married, trying to figure out this whole family thing. I'm supposed to imitate godly men. You're a godly man. What do I do? And we met at Chick-fil-A week after week after week as he poured in. I'll give you one of his nuggets of wisdom. Vacation doesn't begin when you get to vacation. It begins in the car. So treat the whole trip like vacation. Never forgot that. There are two ways that you can live, but only one legacy that you get to leave. I'm supposed to preach for a few more minutes, but I'm just gonna stop because I wanna show you a verse that God's put in my heart. Matt, I know I gave it to you last minute, but if, if you have Psalm 26, six and seven and you could throw it up, that'd be great. This is what I've been memorizing lately and I'll tell you why I love it. I love it because it covers the entire, I, I guess, experience of the Christian. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. I don't know where you guys are tonight. I would imagine some of you are believers that are doing great. Some of you are believers that are doing poorly. Some of you are unbelievers and life seems to go well. And some of you are unbelievers and you're just trying to figure out how to make it through tomorrow. But I'll tell you, this is the thing. The most important thing is for us to go and wash our hands in innocence. And you don't have innocence and neither do I. Jesus was innocent. 
And so it's us coming to Christ and recognizing that we need our sin forgiven. We need our brokenness dealt with, and he died on the cross for that. And if you don't know what that step is supposed to look like, I'll be in the back, and I would love to pray with you. There's probably a faithful Christian sitting right next to you, and you can just lean over and say, talk to me about the innocence of Christ. But once we get to that place and we're innocent, the Bible goes on and it expects us to go around the altar of God, which is a phenomenal statement that the creator of the entire universe pulls us into the throne room and says, make yourself at home here. When we worship, when we sing, when we lift up, you're not singing to the person next to you. You're not singing so that Bennett feels like you're leaning in. You're singing to the God of the universe and everything else trickles down from there. And when we sing, we proclaim thanksgiving and we do it aloud. Yes, you should be glorifying God in your heart, but if it's enough, it should begin to come out. And then we tell of God's wondrous deeds. Christian, there is somebody in this room that needs to hear the stories of God's faith in your life. So here's what I want to encourage us to do. I'm going to pray, and then Bennett's going to play for just a minute or two. I don't know which of those things hits home, but I just want you to wrestle with it, and I want you to go to the Lord. If you need prayer, I'll be in the back. Our prayer team will be in the back. If you feel like proclaiming thanksgiving aloud is what God is calling you to do, I would just encourage you when we sing, sing out. If telling of God's wondrous deeds is what stands out to you, then don't even worry about singing. Lean over to your neighbor and say, can I just tell you one neat thing that God has done in my life? But there are two ways to live and one legacy to leave. And it starts now. If you procrastinate it, a good often procrastinated is a good left undone. Let's not wait. Let's respond to the goodness of God. Stand with me if you would. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would lead us and guide us. For those who need prayer, I pray that they would receive it. For those who need to share, I pray that they would do it. For those of us who should sing aloud, I pray that we would. I pray that we would realize that this is your space, not ours. If somebody needs to go and kneel somewhere, pray somewhere, seek help somewhere, that they would feel comfortable to do it. This space is yours and it is yours alone. So we want you to take it. You have given us two paths to walk. I pray for the one who is trying to straddle those two that they would find the path of righteousness. And you've given us one legacy to live. May we live lives full of stories that are going to be worth telling to our children, our grandchildren, and our great-grandchildren, and all who reside in the family of faith that we call home, whether it's Midtree or somewhere else. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 